Welcome in. It's the Doug Russell Podcast. Hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy holiday season. On today's show, we talk to someone who I've known and admired now for over a quarter century. She's been a pioneer in so many ways, and she's been an inspiration to so many people at the same time. You might know Jesse Garcia as the longtime sports anchor and sports reporter at TMJ4, but in the last decade, her career has taken on an entirely different direction. It's been flipped upside down. Once she made the decision to retire from being an on-camera talent, she went behind the scenes. She became a university professor. She wrote a book. And then she returned to television a few years ago in the news department over at TMJ4, overseeing most aspects of the operation. But it wasn't her show to run yet. But starting on January 3rd, Jesse Garcia will take on her biggest challenge yet as she becomes the news director at CBS 58 in Milwaukee. She'll be running her own newsroom. She is the boss where everyone answers to her. Here's my conversation with Jesse Garcia. Everybody says the same thing when I ask, what are you most proud of? And so I'm most proud of my family. I'm most proud of my children. Professionally speaking, Jesse Garcia, author, television sports reporter, television sports host, behind the scenes broadcast director, professor, professionally speaking, because you're the ultimate multi-hyphenate. What are you most proud of? <laughs> Multi-hyphenate. I love that. Um, boy, that is, uh, I think you're the first person to ask me that question, like, you know, phrase it that way. And so uh, give me a second here. But I think um, in totality, I uh, probably just still being a trailblazer for women in the industry. So, you know, I was the first female sports anchor in the state of Wisconsin. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I mean, I was just doing my job. And, you know, to be honest, that first night that I guess I broke the glass ceiling, I was so nervous. Like, that was my first time anchoring a sports cast. I was in Madison. And, I mean, I think I had an out-of-body experience. I was so nervous, you know. So I wasn't thinking about, you know, making history. But um, I have had so many young women and girls come up to me and say, like, you know, thank you. Like, you were a role model for me or I I wanted to get into or I did get into the sports business, um, you know, because I saw you or maybe it's their daughter or their granddaughter, whatever it might be. And so um, that does mean a lot to me. Um, You know, so I didn't intend to be a trailblazer. There were people ahead of me. I mean, I had role models. And um, I remember coming out of college, Robin Roberts and Hannah Storm and Leslie Visser were all trailblazers ahead of me. And they were on the national level. Um, but on the local level, there weren't that many. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I would, I, I, I guess if you're asking me for the most proud, I would say that. Okay. How much are you reminded or how much were you reminded back then when you were first starting out that this hasn't been done before? There aren't that many women that are in sports, especially at the local level. Sure. Um, there were a couple of incidences that uh, served to remind me of that. Uh, the one that stands out most in my mind is I had just gotten done um, doing a sports cast at WISC Channel 3, the CBS affiliate in Madison, um, and a, the phone rang in the sports office. And I answered it. It was a man. And he said, I am never going to watch Channel 3 again. And I said, why? And he said, because you're a chick and chicks don't know anything about sports. And I said, I hope you change your mind one day, sir. Um, and that was you know, the end of the conversation. I don't know if he ever changed his mind. I never heard back from him. But, you know, it just reminded me that, like, not everybody was fully on board with this. And Madison was my hometown. Um, I grew up there. I went to Madison East High School. Like, that was my city. And I had a lot of support 
um, from people. But then I, it, it suddenly dawned on me, oh, not everybody supports me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to win some people over here. Um, and, you know, I, all it did was just make me work harder. You know, I, um, I didn't, quite frankly, I didn't grow up with a lot of sports in my life. Um, my mom still can't believe that I became a sportscaster. Um, so I'm the only child of a single mother. She was not at all interested in sports. We, sports were not a part of our lives as I was growing up. Um, I don't remember watching or attending a single sporting event prior to the age of 10. The first event I remember was the 1980 Olympics, and I was 10 years old. And I remember watching it, – it wasn't even the Miracle on Ice – uh, and it wasn't Eric Hyden. For some reason, I remember watching Luge that year. <laughs> As one does. As one does. Because actually, I remember making up a joke and going into my mom. And, and I think the joke was um, two people are talking to each other. And a woman says, um, oh, your, your son is in the Olympics. Is he a winner? And then the other person answers, no, he's a loser. <laughs> and, and I... <laughs> So I remember watching Luge, telling my mom that joke, and kind of falling in love with the Olympics. Who knew you had um, dad jokes at your, when you were 10? I had bad jokes uh, my whole life. <laughs> and bad puns and plays on words. <laughs> um, and, um, and then, you know, I, I got more into sports um, as I got towards high school. Um, my mom met my stepdad when I was 15, and my stepdad would take me to Badger basketball games at the old um, field house. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I mean, the energy and the excitement and the band and the cheerleaders and, you know, it smelled like beer and popcorn. And still does. I was in there last week for the volleyball. <laughs> probably yeah. that same beer and popcorn probably. From, <laughs> from the 80s. Um, and, uh, I, you know, and I thought because I knew I wanted to be a journalist, like I've known basically my whole life I wanted to be a journalist or a writer. But um, I, I suddenly thought, boy, it'd be really fun to cover sports. You know, who wants to cover all this negative news when you can be at all these fun sporting events? And so I, I really, I kind of taught myself sports, um, to be honest. Um, I, you know, I didn't, I, it, it just wasn't a part of who I was uh, in my upbringing. Um, so I remember, like, I would watch a baseball game and listen to Bob Euchre simultaneously and just kind of really pay attention to what he was saying and what was happening in the game. And I would ask a lot of questions if I had them. Um, not that my mom had the answers because she didn't, but my mm. stepdad maybe would help me out um, and, and just taught myself. So when you get to college, uh, did you get resistance about this path that you had chosen originally as a sports broadcaster? Tell me about that. No, I didn't. Um, I went to Boston University, um, and uh, the very first day that I was there, I, I walked down to the Daily Free Press newspaper and I knew that was like the one extracurricular that I, you know, really desperately wanted to be a part of. And I requested to be on the sports staff. And there was only one other woman on the sports staff. But they were very welcoming. Um, and I remember I got, I think I covered um, swimming was my first assignment. And I still have these articles. Oh, talk about bad plays on words. <laughs> I, I looked back on those a few years ago and I cringed because I used to say things like, they really dunked them today. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they swam to the surface. They, nice. You know, they nearly drowned. I don't even know what I said. They were all water puns. Sure. And um, it was so bad. Um, but, you know, you're finding your voice um, when you're a young writer. Uh, and then... I, I stayed with the Daily Free Press for all four years. I worked my way up to the premier sport, which was hockey, BU men's hockey, mm -hmm. um, with Jack Parker. If anybody knows like hockey, he mm -hmm. was a legendary coach. Um, 
So I, I followed the hockey team, covered the hockey team for years, um, went all over New England with them. Um, and it was great. It was amazing. Um, and I became assistant sports editor. And actually, the, the other woman who was there became sports editor. So we might have been one of the only um, college newspapers to have a female sports editor and assistant sports editor that, you know, at that time um, in the 90s, in the early 90s. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there were others. I hope there were others. But um, uh, I always felt like there was a lot of, um, you know, respect from my colleagues there. And then I interned at a TV station in Boston, uh, WCVB, and uh, they hired me as a news intern because their sports interns were already full. But I used to hang around the sports office all the time and just bother those guys, you know, and uh, ask if I could, you know, what can I do? Can I can I go with you to a Celtics practice? You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, just try to get as much experience as I could. Why Boston University and not, say, for example, the University of Wisconsin and right there in your hometown? Because I grew up 10 minutes from campus and I went to preschool on campus. Um, and I mean, I was fully immersed in that campus my whole life. Um, we used to go to something called, um, college for kids when I was in like fourth, fifth grade would take the bus downtown in the summers and you'd take like kind of quote unquote college classes, um, you know, on campus, uh, in high school, we went to frat parties. Like I felt like I'd sort of been there, done that. And I wanted to spread my wings. Um, so I actually thought I was going to Northwestern. That was my first choice. Um, and I didn't get in and I was crushed. And at that point I was like, I only applied to four schools, so I didn't have a whole lot of options. And um, Boston University was a school I had stumbled upon. We were on a tour out, out east looking at some schools, and my stepdad was – I remember him saying, there's some good cool schools in Boston. We should go over to Boston. And we jumped on the last tour of the day, and they started telling me what a great communication school they had. And I knew I was going to major in journalism. So, you know, I just kind of added them to the list, but like as an afterthought. Then I didn't get into Northwestern, and I was like <laughs> – uh, mom, I might be going to Boston. Uh, but actually, it was it was the best experience ever. Um, if anybody's ever been to Boston, Boston University is like steps from Fenway Park. Um, and so, you know, we used to go to Red Sox games all the time. My freshman year roommate worked in the Red Sox ticket office. And whenever there were extra tickets, she'd bring them home and we'd go to games. Um, you know, so... You know, I probably spent more time in the bleachers at Fenway Park than I should have in college, <laughs> you know, uh, when I should be studying. But um, as a sportscaster, aspiring sportscaster, it was a great place to be. Um, so, you know, and I covered the Beanpot Hockey Tournament out there and the head of the Charles Regatta, you know, on the river. And um, I really I loved Boston. It was a great experience for four years. Um, and I still think of it as, you know, almost like a third home after Madison and, Mo- and Milwaukee. But I did miss um, Wisconsin um, and I wanted to come back. Um, I, I remember missing trees. Boston <laughs> University doesn't have a lot of green okay. space um, and it, it's a big, expensive city. And I had like no money. And so, you know, I just. You're a college student. You're not supposed to. Yeah. You live off ramen noodles. Right. Um, But. Been there. uh, Remember that. Yes. Um, And everybody needs to go through that. Yes. But came back to Wisconsin um, and got my first job then, um, as we talked about at WISC. When did the shift go from the thought of being a print journalist to being a broadcast television journalist? Yeah, excellent question. Because um, high school, I was in my, on my high school newspaper as well and covered mostly news, a little bit of sports, but mostly news. And then um, somewhere in there, I started to realize 
liked sports and liked TV. I had an uncle who was a producer director in uh, at the WIC in Madison. Um, we didn't cross paths. He left before I was there, but I knew him and I knew his wife was in the promotions creative services department. When I was 16, his wife recruited me to do this little tiny promo on Langdon street in Madison. And I still remember the wording of that. And it was uh, talking about uh, the, how Langdon street was named. It was like a 10 second promo, but it was fun. And I was like this, you know, I, 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 this is kind of different. And then I did my internship. And um, what I liked about TV is that it's still good writing. Good TV is good writing, but you go from almost like a two-dimensional to a, a three-dimensional. It's like you're building a house. You got to add the walls and the windows, and you have to add in the visuals and the sound along with the writing. Um, and so I, I really liked that. It was a different form of writing. So I decided to um, pursue um, TV. Uh, also, I should say I did apply for an internship at the Wisconsin State Journal, um, which I didn't get. Um, instead I got the internship at WISC. Uh, and so I always, I do think back on that. I wonder if I would have gotten that internship from Bill Brophy at the state <laughs> journal, if I would have stayed in print. Um, but you know, as a college student applying, um, I remember I got one, didn't get the other and it sort of sets your life goal, you know? And it really puts you on this path to, you know, spending so much time in, in broadcast journalism. How long were you at WISC before you made the move to Milwaukee? Two years. Um, so I graduated college in 92. I was there from 92 to 94. And then um, WTMJ was expanding to add a 4 p.m. newscast at the time. And they were hiring another sportscaster. Oh, Hank Stoddard was retiring, too. Um, some of your listeners may remember Hank Stoddard, longtime listeners. Uh, and they, they actually hired two of us to fill Hank's shoes because, <laughs> quite frankly, with his salary, they could afford to pay <laughs> two of us. <laughs> ah, the golden days of television. Yeah. So they hired myself and Scott Sable. I don't know if anybody remembers Scott Sable, but um, uh, we, because Scott, I think, only spent a couple years at TMJ and then he. Oh, what I remember about I, Scott is he was the first television sportscaster that I ever saw in person with the up top suit and then the shorts. <laughs> totally. I can completely picture that. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, so then I came over um, in 94 to TMJ. Um, they actually hired me at, originally as part-time news, part-time sports. Um, and that luckily that only lasted a few months because I was not cut out for news at the time. Now I love news, um, obviously. Gosh, I would hope so. Director. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I remember my very first story on the air for WTMJ was a court case in Waukesha County. And I was so. Oh, does the of tape of that exist somewhere? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. I was so out of my element. I called the courthouse, and the the woman who answered said, "Is this a probate case?" And I had no idea what the word probate meant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Uh, <laughs> I don't know." And uh, so she's like, "Let's look it up." And she was like, "Oh, it is a probate case. You're going to be in room blah blah blah." So immediately I go hit the dictionary, probate. Right. Oh, it means it's about a will. Okay, got it. <laughs> So uh, I, I was better suited for sports, and luckily TMJ uh, recognized that within a few months and um, made me full-time sports. Okay, so our paths are a little bit similar in the sense that I first got to TMJ in 1996. So we ran concurrently there for a while, just down yeah. the hallway from each other. It was a pretty good time to, to cover sports in Wisconsin. The Packers were getting good, a couple of Super Bowl runs. The Badgers had already gotten to the Rose Bowl and were primed for a couple yeah. of other Rose Bowl runs. 
that's a pretty good time to be a sports reporter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I would so think. So fortunate. Yeah. I mean, I really, I count my blessings because I came in right at the same time that Brett Favre uh, came to the Packers. And, you know, so being able to just ride that wave all the way through, go to those two Super Bowls with Favre and then the one with Rodgers. Um, you know, I mean, how many people can say they've covered three Super Bowls? I just, you know, that was, those are definite highlights. Um, and then I was asked to host the Mike Holmgren show uh, in the, well, it was his final year before he went to Seattle. So I hosted uh, the Mike Holmgren show for one year, which we taped at 9 a.m. in Green Bay on a Monday morning. So we had to leave Milwaukee at like 6.30 a.m. And often I would have worked till 11 the night before. I just remember sleeping in the back of the producer's car on the way up there <laughs> like a lot of days because I was also pregnant with my first, who's now 22. Um, but anyway, so I did the Mike Holmgren show. Um, and then, uh, I did not do the Ray Rhodes show. They changed it. And then I don't, you didn't miss much. (laughs) Well, he was only there the one year. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, why am I blanking on the coach who came after him? Mike Sherman. Thank you. Mike Sherman. I don't think he had a show or he did one with Larry maybe, but they had no audience. Then they decided to kind of resurrect the Mike McCarthy show. And so and make it audience again. And so Larry and I co-hosted the Mike McCarthy show for uh, years. It was like seven, eight years, something like that. Um, And then the Packers and TMJ asked me to be the sideline reporter, too, for the preseason games. So I did that for like seven or eight years as well, which was great fun. I really, really enjoyed um, being a sideline reporter. I enjoy the picture that you just posted a couple of days ago of you sleeping on the desk (laughs) in the Packers press box. A very young Dennis Krause and a very young Kevin Hunt uh, next to you as well. That's the one thing that I think that a lot of people don't fully understand about this business. I remember covering the Super Bowl in Dallas. And I was doing the morning show on another station. I was doing the morning show on WSSP at the time. And I remember getting back from editing audio at the stadium at about 1 a.m. And I had to be on the air at 5. And our hotel was not the team hotel. It was not the mm-hmm. uh, media hotel. We they, they put us off in Fort Worth, which is about 45 minutes away. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to try to find a couch. And I found a couch. <laughs> And it was the the media lounge or whatever. And there are like five other photographers just crashed out on the couch. I'm like, all right, this is where I'm spending the night, I suppose. Wow. And, and I saw when I saw your picture that that reminded me of that. You take a nap wherever you can take a nap. For sure. So, yeah, the picture you're referring to, if anybody wants to see it, um, I put it on LinkedIn. Uh, but anyway, it was a um, it was the NFC championship game uh, in, uh, 1996 when they played Carolina. On that was that a cold, cold yeah. bright, sunny, mm-hmm. but extraordinarily cold day. Yep. And um, I was put up at a Green Bay motel. And it was like the party motel. <laughs> and so in the room next to me, they were blasting music and like screaming and stuff all night long. I don't know how these people went to the game the next day. But <laughs> I, I called their room in the middle of the night and uh, to ask them to please keep it down. We all had a game the next day. It was an early game, as I recall. I think it was like an 11 or um, yeah, it was, like it was early because it was sunny the whole time. And at that yes. time of the year, it would have gotten gotten dark. But yeah, it was sunny the whole sure time. Yeah, it was an early game. So I, you know, I didn't sleep. I think I slept 20 minutes that night. And I remember I was so crabby the next day. And I was walking around just muttering under my breath about how, you know, the lack of sleep I got and these people keeping me up all night. And then the Packers won. And I, I had to forget all about my fatigue because... You know, we just had to go into go mode, you know? Sure. But we were on the air for 
hours upon hours at the end of the night. I think it was like three, four hours straight. We had this special. We just blew out programming. And I started to get so tired by the end. And so in this photo, I I was taking cat naps in between on-air segments. And uh, and Dennis and Kevin had had this great night's sleep, and they were completely fine. Um, So somebody snapped a picture. I don't remember who it was, if it was a producer or a photographer or whoever was there with us. And I found this picture in an old box a couple years ago. And it just cracked me up. Um, so, but I'll never forget how tired I was, thanks to those people. All right, and, and you know, you covered sports. You wrote a book about covering the Packers a few years ago as well. And then, over the course of the last ten years, you've gone from being a sports reporter at TMJ to teaching uh, college students. And then you took a behind-the-scenes job at TMJ yep. in the news department. And that has propelled you to being a news director. That's quite a journey. A lot of people don't understand. Going from sports reporter to news director in a local television shop, I don't know that that's ever happened before, <laughs> like anywhere. It's that, a bit that unusual. Is, that is such a leap because what I think a lot of other people don't understand is that the news director in a television station, I mean, you're running the shop and you right. will start running the shop, hiring decisions, firing decisions, contract negotiations, content, everything. That's quite a journey. And, and I don't know that you can you know, make that leap from point A to point B without a lot of stops in between. So at what point did you start thinking, you know, maybe it's time to do something else? Maybe it's time to turn the page on sports casting and this incredible career that I've built for myself that everybody knows me for, because I think a lot of people maybe saw the, the announcement that you're taking over the news as the news director at CBS 58 saying, wait, that Jesse Garcia, <laughs> the, the, the sportscaster Jesse sure, Garcia. Sure. At what point did you start to think maybe it was time to, to make that, that next sure. step? I remember kind of near the end of my, of my sports career and I love doing sports but, you know, I was driving back and forth to Green Bay all the time, and I used to exclusively listen to sports radio. And somewhere along the way... Thank I started... you for that, by the way. <laughs> somewhere along the way, I hate to tell you this, I started to listen to NPR, um, you know, just as much. And then I was noticing I was listening to NPR more than I was listening to sports radio. And... That's fair. <laughs> and really, that's honestly the first time that I remember thinking like, oh, like I'm really into news too. You know, I really like news and I really like sports. Um, but news is starting to intrigue me. Um, and so when I was teaching college journalism, uh, I did teach a sports reporting class, but I was also just teaching like general broadcasting and TV. How did news. you get into that, by the way? So, um, again, somewhere near kind of the end of my career, I had been asked to be a, um, a guest speaker at, a, at some college classes and I always really enjoyed it. And I thought I would love to have my own class, but I had no idea how to make this happen. Um, so I just blind cold emailed the head of the journalism departments at local colleges and I either got no answer or I got, um, I'm sorry, we only hire people who have their master's degree because I didn't have my master's degree. I still don't have my master's degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, not caring about all these decades of experience, right? Just, it was, they, academia kind of, they're very focused on things like master's degrees. So, um, but one school got back to me. It was Carroll University in Waukesha. And um, uh, Barb King, uh, thank goodness for Barb, she, uh, she emailed me back and she said, actually, we have an opening 
next semester uh, for a, um, I forget what it was called, a broadcast news or something like that class. Um, it, we only offer this class every two years because we just don't have a lot of broadcasting majors, but we do have it on the docket for next semester. And we are looking for somebody. Would you like to have a conversation? And so we met, we talked. I wound up teaching that class. Um, but then because it wasn't going to be offered again for two years, uh, I went to a friend of mine who was at Mount Mary and asked her if they had anything available. And then they created a specialized class for one semester. Then I got into Marquette after that, um, taught for a few semesters with them. And then UWM came calling and I wound up, they had a full-time job. I started as an adjunct, but then they had a full-time job, taught a bunch of different classes for them. I even taught feature and magazine reporting, which was not necessarily in my wheelhouse, but they needed somebody to teach it that semester. And so I kind of winged it for the whole semester. (laughs) That's how I winged it, winged it as a writer. Exactly. You just do it. You just do it. You know, I'd be like, all right, what am I going to teach tomorrow? Okay, let's do that. Um, you wrote a book, though. Yeah. You're an author. It's like a long feature. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, I, I, that's kind of how I got into the, the whole teaching thing. But when I was teaching, um, I was teaching both news and sports and actually more news. We started at UWM an immersive journalism program uh, where every semester we would take students on a real-life trip to something that was happening. So I, I think our first one was um, after the election when Donald Trump won, we took students to Western Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa to talk with voters. We discovered that there was this big um, stretch along the Mississippi River that had um, voted for Obama twice and now had voted for Trump. And um, we wanted to find out why these counties had flipped. And so we took like 20 students on this trip and we just fanned out across all these counties and did this whole big giant piece on that. And then the next semester, I think, was um, Flint, Michigan. We wanted to talk to residents there about the water crisis. They were still in the middle of it. And then we went to Texas for Hurricane Harvey. Um, and we went down and visited um, and, and talked with residents there about like how they were still dealing with the aftermath of the hurricane. And we had one more, which I'm blanking on. So I think four semesters we did these these trips. Um, and... They were incredible to get the students into these like real world scenarios and the real news events that were happening. Um, and so I just loved those trips that we did. What was the inspiration for that? Did you get that when you were at Boston University? No, I didn't get anything like that. Um, well, I, I guess I should say I, I only had one TV news class at Boston University, like True TV. And I do remember that we had to interview somebody in the real world. And I... Um, actually called the Red Sox and I asked him if I could do a stand-up in Fenway because I was going to do a story about how they hadn't been to the World Series since 1918, I think it was, Mm -hmm. at the time, and how um, businesses, local businesses, weren't getting like the big payoff that they could if, you know, if they were in the World Series. And I remember interviewing businesses. I thought the Red Sox would never let me in to do a stand-up at Fenway Park. But they were like, sure, come on in. And so it was, you know, an empty stadium, myself and my classmate taking turns, like shooting these stand-ups. And I just remember being in awe, like we're in Fenway Park doing a stand-up. But, um, you know, the inspiration really was, um, I I was just curious to like get students off campus. Um, I wanted them to have like a real life experience. And so um, when when that election happened, I remember emailing all the other instructors at UWM and saying, hey, I have this idea. What would you guys, does anybody want to join me? You want to bring, I'm going to take my class. I'm going to offer it to my class. Anybody else want to join in? We could do this trip. 
And Jessica McBride um, was the one who, um, she jumped on it. Uh, she used to be a um, reporter for the Journal Sentinel and uh, has, t- has taught at UWM for a long time. So Jessica and I teamed up and, uh, and would offer this. Oh, I remember the fourth one. I don't know why I wouldn't have thought of this because we took the overnight Amtrak to Washington, D.C. for the, um, uh, the uh, student march that had to do with gun violence. Okay. After the Florida shooting, Florida high school shooting, there was a March for Our Lives, they called it, mm-hmm. um, in D.C. And we took, you know, I think it was, again, like 15, 20 students, something like that, on the overnight Amtrak uh, to D.C. and covered that march. And then, um, you know, came back. And, I mean, students would tell us that this was the best experience they'd had in college, you know, um, not only from just a, a memorable, you know, but like this went on their resumes. Some of them told me this got them their first job. Because they'd had real life experience and that they could put on that resume reel, you know. Mm. So I just really loved um, getting them that experience. And we wound up getting some grant money for it because the first time, first couple times we went, we just had to pay out of pocket and students had to pay and that kind of thing. And then we applied for a couple of grants um, and, and got a couple of those. And so that really helped. That's how we could afford to fly to Texas, for instance. And then even after I left UWM, Jessica kept it up mm-hmm. and I think she's still doing it. Um, I know they went to paradise, California for the, um, fire that happened there and they covered that. And I think they did something on, um, indigenous women and, you know, some, some, uh, missing women, things like that. Um, so they've been doing some incredible work at UWM and, you know, and I tell everybody, I mean, Marquette, all, all these schools are great for journalism. Um, but you know, they, what they're doing there, uh, at UWM with these immersive trips is really something pretty special. So you started teaching while you were still at TMJ for sports or did you decide to end your on-camera career and then go into teaching? I was still doing, uh, TMJ for sports and some feature stories for them, mm-hmm. but I was sort of tapering down, I guess I would say. And I wanted to try to do some other stuff. So I, it, that crossed over. I think I taught a couple semesters where I was still teaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still on air and I was teaching simultaneously. Um, and then um, I did leave TMJ4 completely for about two years. That's when I got the full-time job at UWM and we were involved in these immersive trips. Um, we also started a class back at TMJ. We might be getting too into the weeds here, but we uh, at UWM, I pitched a class that would be held at TMJ. It was held in the conference room. And so the students would come there every week and we'd have a different guest speaker from a different part of the newsroom. We called it the making of television news and because we wanted students to understand all the aspects that went into it. Sales, creative services, graphics, photography, you know, the desk, everything that goes into television news, not just the anchors, you know. Um, and then I'd give them an assignment based on whatever, you know, whoever was doing it that uh, the guest speaking that time. So I think we did that for two semesters or so. So, you know, I just always trying to think out of the box a little bit, give them something a little more real life, get them off campus, um, you know, um, and and it was fun. I love teaching. Then I kind of decided, though, that I loved the teaching aspect of it, but I kind of wanted to get back into teaching and mentoring and storytelling and all that, but um, back in a newsroom, um, which is another reason the assistant news director position appealed to me because you know, you're, you are mentoring and helping, you know, your, your reporters, et cetera. When I was at four, um, I had two different jobs there. One, I was overseeing producers, anchors, weather, and sports. And then the second one, I was overseeing reporters and photographers and a little bit of the desk, although we had another guy who was doing the desk as well, but I was really in the weeds with reporters. And so helping them every aspect of their story 
from story pitch to, you know, what they're going to do. They would call me sometimes and say, hey, what do you think? Should I do this stand up or this stand up? You know, and then I'd be reading their script at the end of the day, helping them tweak anything. Um, and it was really fun. So um, I'll still be doing that at 58, but, you know, I'll be news director and I'll have um, an assistant news director and some executive producers and stuff to help me out as well. How different was it? I mean, obviously, having done it yourself in the sports space for so long gives you that quote unquote real world experience when you're talking to news reporters, younger news reporters that are coming into your shop. Was it difficult to flip that switch from sports to news in a professional setting, even though you stopped listening to sports talk radio and started listening to NPR more? Um, appreciated that you were ever out there. Uh, we appreciate all of our audience, but I fully understand it. But in a professional sense, was it difficult in any way to uh, mentor a news story as opposed to a sports story, or is it just sport or is it just storytelling? So I think that's a really interesting question. So like, number one, I had never read a criminal complaint in my life. And, you know, so when, <laughs> when I first got this job, like I was just honest with my bosses too. Like, look, the, these are my strengths. My strengths are, you know, the visuals, the creative and side note, I think sports people make excellent news managers, um, and, and just excellent, um, news minds because we're very visual. We're very used to writing to highlights. We're very used to picking those best visuals. We're, we're very quick. We're used to picking like really fast sound bites. You know, what's the best bite? Yeah, great. Throw it out there. You know, um, and so um, we're, we just kind of bring that to the table. Um, but I definitely had a weakness in that I, I had never read. And, and a criminal complaint is when somebody does something wrong. You know, it's like the police report of what happened. Um, I didn't fully understand court cases, you know, so I had to say to them, look, you're going to have to help me out here. You know, I will do my best to get myself up to speed, but I don't understand all the subtleties of court. You know, how is this hearing different from that hearing, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, so I did, uh, I started to pick it up, um, uh, both by osmosis and then also just by, um, asking, you know, I, I can remember going into the news director's office and saying, Hey, here's something that I need your help on. You know, I don't really fully understand this because this wasn't part of my career. Um, and, you know, so luckily we could like balance each other out there. But I think that most of it is just storytelling. It really is. Um, and it's good storytelling. Um, but there are those little subtleties, you know, to crime or courts that you need to get yourself up to speed on. Just the same as if a news person was coming over to sports and they didn't fully understand football. You know, you'd, they might have a general sense of it, but you could explain some things to them. How long did you do that job before the opportunity at CBS 58? Three up? years. Um, so I did two years as um, four. TMJ4 has two assistant news directors. One's called the broadcast director and one's called the editorial director. Broadcast is the one that I was mentioning where I oversaw producers, anchors, weather, and sports. And then editorial director oversees reporters, photographers, desk, and makes the editorial decisions every day on what we're covering. So I did two years in the first one as broadcast director, and then I did almost one year in the second one as editorial director. And then um, CBS 58 um, asked if I would be interested in talking about uh, you know, any possibilities moving forward and really hit it off with GM and Brown. Um, like we just have a very similar philosophy for news and what we want to do. And um, you know, uh, it was not an easy decision to leave for. I mean, after you've worked someplace for 25 years, 
it's and you know everybody and every inch of that building. You and, met your husband there. Yes. I, well, actually, we met at uh, WISC in Madison. Oh, okay. Uh, but and we came to TMJ four together. Gotcha. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, just so many memories there, you know, and um, and so many good people there. You know, that I, I mean, I love the people that I was working with. I love the reporting team. It was really a difficult decision. Like, I had a lot of, like, nights laying awake looking at the ceiling, you know, debating, you know, what to do. Um, but um, in the end, like, the chance to run a newsroom in a town that I know and love um, was really just too great to pass up. Did you have any doubts after having been a sports reporter for so many years having been a college professor and then getting back into the newsroom for three years, did you ever have any doubts about making that next step to running the possibility of running your own shop? Sure. I remember when I first came on as assistant, you know, I would tell everybody I'm happy being an assistant. I don't even think I want to be a news director. You know, I, maybe I'll be an assistant in a larger market, but I don't think I want to run the whole shop. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along the way, you know, I was observing what the news director did and how they ran it. Um, Jeff Kiernan was my, was the news director I was working under at first. And he's kind of a legend in Milwaukee. Then he left for Detroit and Tim Vetcher became news director and learning under both of them. And, and, um, you know, they gave me opportunities and they, like answered my questions and helped me. And I started to think, I think I can do this. And then it became, I know I can do this. And then it became, I really want to do this. Um, and you know, I, I just, um, Sure. I mean, does anybody go into any job feeling like I'm going to knock this out of the park? You know, I'm uh, I've got this a thousand and ten percent. I don't know if anybody does. But for me, there are moments where I still get a little nervous, um, but mostly I'm just super duper excited um, because I just think there's so many fun, interesting, creative things we can do. And 58 is it's such a good team. Um, I've always thought they had a great product. And, you know, they deserve more eyeballs. And so part of my job is to get more eyeballs to them. And so, you know, that's where I'm going to be like crowing about all these things that we're doing and all of these things that we have um, because they deserve that. They're really good people and they're really hardworking and they could not have been more welcoming to me. I've had amazing conversations with people um, just in this last month, just banding about ideas and like getting ready to go. So you talk about news philosophy and how you hit it off with your general manager at CBS 58. What is that philosophy and what is the state as you see it going into this position of local news? Because there's been this, well, if it bleeds, it leads. I'm everybody in journalism certainly has heard that there's been, you know, I don't want to slander anything or anybody that's ever done anything in news, but you know, things like, you know, gotcha journalism or, you know, dirty dining and things like that that have gone on for years and years and years. And it's not just in Milwaukee. It's been everywhere. As you enter this position, what is Jesse Garcia's philosophy on how to tell a news story in the, over the course of a 30 minute broadcast? Sure. Um, so people have been telling us for years that the news is too negative. Uh, I mean, ask anybody and you're going to get that. A lot of people even say like, my doctor won't even let me watch it. It gives me heart palpitations, you know, it makes me scared to go outside my front door, whatever it might be. So we've been hearing that for years. Um, and, you know, we've, to a certain extent, some stations have been listening, some stations haven't been listening, but I will just say that the model has been the same for like the last 40 years. It really hasn't changed. 
uh, it is the same newscast, you know, two anchors at a desk, news, weather, sports, uh, half an hour, you know, no one, quite frankly, has sort of innovated TV news. Um, and I would like CBS 58 to be at the cutting edge of innovation. Um, I've been telling everybody that I'm meeting with, look, I have lofty goals. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of it. And I want us to be the most innovative, creative shop in the state, if not the country. And I want us to be the best newsroom culture in the state, if not the country. So back to philosophy, um, you know, we will cover the news of the day. But the way that I look at news is, you know, you don't need to have a reporter, for instance, just like hopscotching around trying to kind of follow the police blotter. We live in a city and in a city, a million things happen in in a day. And, you know, for some reason, we sort of anoint crime as like the number one thing. But there's all this other stuff that goes on in the city, too. And so we need to report on things equally. Um, And so if we're going to be reporting on crime, some crime, of course, rises. But um, if we're going to be reporting on crime, we want to report on solutions. We want to report on, you know, trends. We want to report on the people who are trying to make a difference, you know, things of, of that nature. In addition to, okay, yes, this happened. But I I want our reporters to be on stories that are more um, issue-oriented or maybe it takes more voices so they need to be able to get more sides to it. Emotional stories, visual stories, investigative stories, you know, that type of thing. Um, So um, we'll do our best to uh, provide viewers with this balance so that, yes, you can find out what happened in your world today, um, good, bad, and otherwise, but you're also going to get some more issues and, you know, and those longer form stories. And actually, CBS 58 is uniquely positioned to do some of this because they have the Sunday morning show. Um, so if, if you've ever watched CBS Sunday morning, which is like these long form, really great stories, we have a local version of that. And it airs at 7 a.m. on Sundays uh, with Mike Stralo, who's been in Milwaukee for you know, a long, long time and just does an amazing job on this show. And the reporters get like seven minutes to do stories, which is unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't realize that most reporters get a minute 20, a minute 30. Right. So they get to tell these stories, you know, which is which is great. We also have Telemundo, which no other station has. Um, and so we're going to lean into that more. We're the only ones with bilingual journalists, you know, who are who are out there covering this. Um, so um, that's exciting because we can cover this booming Hispanic and Latino uh, culture. We ha- we're the only station that has a, um, a reporter embedded in Madison. So she lives full-time in Madison, as does her photographer. She used to work at WKOW in Madison. So she uh, fully knows Madison and the state capital and legislative matters. And she covers all that every day for CBS 58 from Madison. So we have more coverage on just lawmakers and laws that could affect all of us and all of that, you know, every single day. So we're going to be really leaning into all of this. And then I think we're going to be doing some, um, some cool new stuff both digitally and on air in 2022, um, that again, like I want us to be on that forefront of like, you know, what do people really want out of their local news? Um, We're going to be asking people that. And I would invite your listeners to, if they have thoughts on what they want out of their local news, contact me, you know, find me. Uh, I don't have my email up and running yet at (laughs) 58, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Sure. You know, send me a, send me a note or on Facebook Um, and tell me, because I want to hear from you. I want to know what you want. We want to, the, the slogan at 58 is your hometown station. And we want to lean into that. Like we are going to be your hometown station. We want to serve you in the best way that we can. Um, and, and so we want to know, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Tell us, help us, you know, help us innovate um, to, uh, to be the best station that we can possibly be. How much of an obstacle do you feel 
nowadays, maybe over the course of the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. I don't know if there's a delineation mark of it, but there just seems to be a distrust of the media in general. How frustrating is that to you as a storyteller, as a journalist, and how do you combat that? Um, it is difficult. I mean, members of my own family, you know, have, have made comments about, you know, not trusting the media, that kind of thing. And I It's have not to- just your family. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell them, like, you know, we work so hard every day to be balanced and to bring you both viewpoints. And, you know, down to when it's an election night, you know, I won't let our anchors wear red or blue ties, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, people are picking up what they think might be like a subtle nod to something everywhere. Like you have to be so careful and we are so down the middle and every single story that we do, we talk about, okay, well, if we're going to show this viewpoint, then we need to show that viewpoint. Um, you know, if, and I don't want to just do politics, but just as an example, okay, if the Democrats are going to say this, let's reach out for the Republican response, you know, or vice versa. And you're just always trying to keep those scales, you know, balanced. So, I mean, we work tirelessly at this and, so we are not um, untrustworthy. We, uh, we're, we're doing our absolute best every single day to bring you the real facts, you know, news, et cetera, of, the, of where you live. Um, and if, if you have any questions, let me know. Somebody wrote to me on, um, I think it was LinkedIn, and said, you know, I'm curious how you guys choose your 10 o'clock lead story. And I said, you know what? Let's have a conversation. I'd be happy to share with you some of the thought processes that go into it. Every night is different, of course. But, you know, like... How do you do that? <laughs> uh, so how do we choose our 10 p.m. story? <laughs> so it is, first of all, the entire Nightside team discussing the options of what's available that night. We have a producer. We have an executive producer. We have the anchors. We have the reporters. And please keep in mind that all these people typically live in different parts of the city, have different backgrounds, have different, you know things that they bring to the table. So we have like an incredible pool of just diverse people that are already discussing these stories every night. And we'll kick around what are, what are the reporters going to be on? Um, and then we'll discuss, okay, what is the lead story? Typically it is, what do we think appeals, um, you know, to the most people and by appeals, I mean, just has interest for, you know, the most people out there, or of course it might be something that's exclusive or something that's new but it's not, we're not picking it based off of one side or the other or crime or that kind of thing. You know, um, a lot of it is flow to, you know, okay, so if there's a huge snowstorm coming, you're going to lead with weather. Uh, then what's our second story? Okay, maybe a weather-related story that ties into that, you know, and then that might flow to whatever your third story is, some of that. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, and the lead can change uh, throughout the whole night. It could change five times, you know, in a night or more. Um, it can change right before the show. I mean, that's TV mm-hmm. news for you, you know. Um, but um, we're always trying to think of the audience and just what, how we're best serving the audience that day. You're going to make hiring and firing decisions in your new role. That's the job. I don't know if that's job number one of the news director, but it's certainly an important one. When you make those decisions, what are you looking for in a journalist, whether it's on camera or not? Mm, Good question. Um, So number one, well, I mentioned newsroom culture, that I want to have a really great newsroom culture. And what I mean by that is um, we all know in this this day and age and in this workforce that people have a choice where they're going to work. 
and they want to be in a place that makes them feel good. You know, they're not just a, uh, a worker, you know, they're a person, a human being. So when I'm making hiring decisions, um, part of it is, are you a good newsroom citizen? And that's kind of a term we use in the newsroom, but in general, just, are you a good person, a good worker? <laughs> um, you know, I always say my first and most important rule is no jerks in the newsroom. And I just won't allow somebody who's going to, you know, yell and scream at people or whatever, belittle people, stuff like that. I just believe that if people are treated with respect and they know that they're trusted, um, that they will, you know, walk through walls for you because they want to work, you know, and they want to do good work. So, um, so that's the first thing. And we do a lot of vetting on that. I mean, I got to be honest with you, you know, it's a small business. So if somebody applies for a job, um, between all of us already in the newsroom, we probably know three or four people that know them, uh, from wherever they're at. And so, um, I look at the references, you know, that people put on their resumes, but I also go outside those references. Um, and I will reach out to people they don't put on their resume and say, Hey, you worked with so-and-so, you know, what do you think? Tell me how they do in stressful situations. Tell me this, tell me that. Um, so it's, that's really important. You know, your reputation kind of, um, precedes you as they say. Um, so, um, you know, so that's one thing. And then I need people who are really journalists, like to the core, you know, they, they want to tell stories. Um, they, they're good writers. Um, you know, they want to hone their craft. Um, I'm not looking for people who just want to be on TV. Uh, those days are long gone. You know, you can't just be on TV. You can't just be a teleprompter reader. Um, you know, you, you need to be out in the community and you need to be serving the community and you need to be doing, wanting to tell stories. Um, so if you're just as passionate about journalism as me and, you know, you're, uh, you're going to be a good person to work with, then I, I want to talk to you. Final thing for you. And I know that we've already gone long, which That's right. is, this is what I do. Um, 10 years ago, you were on camera at uh, TMJ4 doing sports. I'm not going to ask you where you think you're going to be in 10 <laughs> years from now, but where do you think that the broadcast journalism, uh, local news, where do you think that's going to be? How is that going to evolve, in your opinion, over the next 10 oh, years? Oh, boy. Um, that is the big question. Um, I mean, we need to figure that out. Uh, we really do, because um, it's it's changing. It's... Um, so obviously digital has exploded in the last 10 years. And, you know, I remember when we didn't even have a web team, um, you know, at, uh, at Channel 4 or any other station in town didn't have a web team. So um, I think that people are most of the time finding us first on either their phones or their computers. So we, we look at that as kind of our front door. And it didn't used to be. It used to be kind of our back door. But that's where people are first seeing your content. They might scroll your Facebook page. They might see a push on their phone or something like that. And then you kind of, if you can kind of pull them over to the broadcast, you know, from there and say, you know, hey, we're going to have much more on this at five o'clock and we're going to dive into blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, because appointment viewing is, is not happening very often, um, as we know. Um, I mean, how many people say, I have to sit down at 5 p.m. and watch the news? or 10 p.m. A lot of people DVR it and then watch it whenever they want, you know, or uh, maybe they're not watching it at all. I mean, every single station has lost has lost some viewers across this entire country because people don't need TV news the way that they used to. But let me tell you, during the pandemic, those numbers were coming, I mean, the height of the pandemic, we're still in it, right. but <laughs> um, those numbers were coming way up because 
people really wanted that local news content. They wanted to understand what was happening in their world. So, you know, we still have a relevance. We, we just need to be relevant um, and not be sort of the cliche anchorman, you know, like movies, you know. But just- I did enjoy that movie. I don't know how you <laughs> felt about it. I think, who did I ask about that? I think I asked George Mallet once. So did you watch Anchorman and what did you think of it? And he, you just shot me the dagger eyes of death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, if you can't laugh at yourself. Right. And you got a problem. <laughs> so I don't mind caricatures and all that stuff, you know. But, um, you know, we need to be real people delivering just news that is of importance to the community and is community news. I mean, people just want to know things. One of my friends said to me, she's like, I just want to know about local businesses. I just want to hear the backstories of local businesses because I want to frequent these businesses and it's going to make me want to do it even more. If I just know, you know, this couple started this store because, you know, or something like that. I mean, that's the kind of news, too, that people are hungry for, um, in addition to, you know, what happened in my world today. Uh, so, you know, we're um, we're trying to balance all that. But I, to, to answer, get back to your question, I think 10 years from now, news may be delivered in a different way. It may be much more digital heavy. And then maybe, you know, the broadcast is I'm not sure if that if that pie gets smaller and digital gets bigger or, you know, what's going to happen. But um, I'm still waiting for somebody, I'm not sure if it's going to be me or somebody else, to kind of reinvent local TV news. Um, When I was teaching, one of the classes, or one of the assignments I would give to the students was reinvent local TV news. Uh, And I had like a dozen questions, you know, and would say, okay, in your newscast of the future, I need you to answer these questions for me. Short of broadcasting from Mars, almost anything's (laughs) on the table here. So some of the questions would be like, in your newscast of the future, are the anchors sitting? Are they standing? Are they on stools? Are they, you know, where are they physically? Um, And what kind of clothing are they wearing? And is it, you know, typically it's male, female anchor. You know, is it like that? Uh, Is their weather in in the same position? Is their sports in the same? Like I had all these questions and it actually amazed me that there really wasn't all that much creativity. Most of these student assignments would come back and it would be almost exactly like the current newscasts, you know, two anchors at a desk, um, you know, just delivering the news, weather stays the same, sports stays the same. So there's, there is some appetite for like having that familiar formula, but I think in some ways it still needs to evolve a little bit. It's like late night talk shows. I mean, they haven't changed since Jack Parr was doing the tonight show. I don't think it's the host, the monologue, the desk. The two chairs, the one guest, and then sometimes the guest moves over, sometimes they don't. It hasn't changed. That is true. That is a good point. So, you know, I mean, some people would say, why change it if it's, you know, working? But, you know, also, if it's not fully working, then, you know, what else can we do? Or how can we just bring it forward a little bit? What else? uh, You know, I've got some ideas. I can't give away all the secrets quite yet. But I will just say on a um, stupid podcast, (laughs) I'm going to tell all I'm going to tell all of my secrets on the Doug Russell podcast. (laughs) I will just say tune into CBS 58 in 2022 because uh, we're going to be doing some things differently. We're going to be doing some things innovatively. I'm going to be hosting these think tanks at the station, which is, you know, because um, I don't have all the answers. I want everybody else to, to pipe in as well. So these think tanks are going to be where it gives people an opportunity to just throw their best and brightest ideas at me. And I, you know, look, I fully believe you try something. If it doesn't work, we tried, you know, then we can try something else. You know, Um, it gives, there's a lot of freedom to kind of try it uh, at 58. And I love that. Well, we're going to be tuning in. Good luck. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me on. 